Eternal Health, episode number 10. You're listening to the Eternal Health Podcast, where we discuss God's great design for your life in body, mind, and spirit. Your host is Laura Rimmer, who's a plant-based nutritionist, author, speaker, and health coach. Looking for yoga tips or the latest protein shake recommendations? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. If you're ready for no-nonsense, multi-layered health expertise, drawing on evidence-based nutrition and biblical principles, welcome to Eternal Health. For show notes and to download your free 5-minute Optimum Health Scorecard, please visit laurarimmer.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, it's Laura. Welcome back to Eternal Health. I hope you've had a really good week. I've had a really wonderful weekend, actually. I went to a Christian ladies' Bible conference for the weekend. And you know when you get invited to do something and you think, yeah, I'd love to go, but actually I've got a million things to do and too much work on. That was the position I was in. Basically, my wonderful friend said to me that she had a free ticket and she would give me just an all expenses paid ticket to this uh, women's conference. And in my mind, I thought I'd love to go, but I can't because I've got commitments at church and I've got loads of work to do. And But to be honest, um, when I spoke to my husband, he said, Laura, just go. You probably need a break. You've worked really hard all week. You haven't had a break for a while. And sometimes we can get so into our work, can't we? Well, I can anyway. I get so enthused by it. Sometimes you just need to take a break, don't you? And step out of what you're doing. Take a breather change of scenery and you know and then come back to it so that's what I did this weekend and it was wonderful it was just what I needed had a long chance to pray to receive good fellowship and teaching from these really godly wonderful um, older women so um, so that was a real treat now if you haven't listened to last week's podcast yet episode nine then please go and listen to that one Um, it's on the perfect green smoothie five-step formula So how having a green smoothie loaded with lots of alkaline fruits and vegetables as often as possible, every day if possible, is really going to just make massive improvements to your health, to your energy levels, to your skin, to your hair, to your body's ability to heal, to mental concentration and so many other ways that it's going to improve your life. So do go and listen to that and download my free cheat sheet as well on how to create your perfect green smoothie. Now, this week, I am super excited to have interviewed world-famous doctor, Dr. Joel Furman, who's six times New York Times best-selling author. He's sold millions of books. He's been on loads of TV shows, Dr. Oz and PBS specials, and he has helped thousands upon thousands of people all around the world to reverse degenerative disease, to lose weight permanently with his nutritarian approach to diet. Today, I've interviewed him and we're going to be talking all about what the nutritarian diet is and in particular his new book called fast food genocide how processed foods are killing us and what we can do about it this is a groundbreaking book it's very interesting it's very disturbing but the good thing is he gives us some practical tips about how we can improve our diet and why we need to get fast food and processed foods out of our diet out of our children's diet immediately. So do pay close attention to what Dr. Furman has to say in this interview and without further ado I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Furman. Welcome to Eternal Health. I'm here today with Dr. Joel Furman. Joel Furman MD is a board certified family physician, six times New York best-selling author and internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing and he specializes in prevention and reversing disease through nutritional methods. Dr. Furman coined the term nutritarian to describe his eating style, which is built around a diet and nutrient-dense, plant-rich foods. Dr. Furman has authored numerous research articles, published in medical journals, is on the faculty of Northern Arizona University Health Science Division, and he serves as president of the Nutritional Research Foundation. For over 25 years, Dr. Furman has shown that it is possible to achieve sustainable weight loss 
and to reverse heart disease, diabetes, and many other illnesses using smart nutrition. In his medical practice and through his books and television specials, he continues to bring this life-saving message to literally hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Furman here today on the show on Eternal Health. So welcome, Dr. Furman. Thank you. Excited to be here and talk to you today. Great. So your new book has just been released, Fast Food Genocide, and that's going to be the main topic of our conversation today. So before we get into that, could you just, um, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and, and the work you do, how did you get into this line of nutritional-based work? You know, I'm, I'm very passionate about this, and I, I'm in my mid-60s, but when I was a competitive figure skater in my when I was like 16 to 19, 20 years old, my father was overweight and sickly. He got his health back by reading nutrition books and changing his diet. I ate very healthfully to, to for better stamina on the sports circuit. You know, in training, I was actually um, second in the United States in pairs figure skating in 1973. And so I, I ate healthy back as a teenager, and I was you know into my um, into my early 20s. So I was when I when I got hurt and left that part of my life and moved forward, I was starting to work in my family's shoe business. They had a chain of shoe stores. But I realized my passion was really nutrition, and I wanted to go back to medical school, to go back to school to pursue a career as a physician, but as a physician specializing in nutrition. So I dropped all my work. You know, I, I quit that work, went back to the pre-med course at Columbia, and then went to medical school when I was in my late 20s. So I... I um, I've been tremendously grateful to have this career that has been so exciting to impact so many people and see them reverse their diseases and get well again. It's been such a thrilling, um, thrilling opportunity for me. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, watching people get well from rheumatoid arthritis, reverse their diabetes, get rid of their headaches, their pain, their psoriasis. Their, it's just nutritional excellence gives you such tremendous tools to enable people to get well. And And of course, we're talking about letting the world and the population know that you don't have to have heart attacks, you don't have to have strokes, you don't have to get demented. That nutritional science has made such tremendous advances to prevent cancer, to live longer, to be healthier than ever before in human history. And people aren't taking advantage of these scientific advances. And they're so confused about all the um, misinformation and conflicting information, they just throw their hands up and don't know what to do. And, and, and I've been a, um, a voice to try to straighten out the, the confusion and to try to enable people to take control of their health. And it's been very exciting for me. Mm. Yeah, you certainly have. I mean, I know you've sold millions of books and, and touched millions of lives in a positive way. So wonderful yeah. that you do that. You mentioned, um, so you mentioned nutritional excellence. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, you know, I coined that term nutritarian to represent a diet that's designed to maximize human lifespan. You know, originally, I, when I started my work, you know, about 40 years ago doing this, and I wrote and I started to write, I realized that my niche wasn't to try to devise information or a message that would be the most popular, that would sell the most books, that would be what people would like to hear. Rather, I wanted to describe what would be the ideal to maximize health and longevity. And when you apply a diet style that maximizes human longevity and slows aging radically, then when you apply it therapeutically to diseases like psoriasis and heart disease and diabetes, it's most effective at reversing those diseases at the same time. So what I'm saying by nutritional excellence is a diet that is moderately lower in calories than most people are eating, especially in this country where people are overeating calories. Mm -hmm. and the, and, but it maximizes the exposure to micronutrients like vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and phytochemicals. So it gives you the full exposure to the non-caloric nutrients humans need while not exceeding our requirement for calories. So what I'm saying here is that excess fat, excess carbohydrate and excess protein, whenever you consume more calories than you need, it speeds up the aging process. Whereas if you consume a little less calories than you require, it lowers your body temperature, it reduces the respiratory quotient so you're not breathing off as many calories. It slows your thyroid a little bit. And in other words, it has the effect to maintain your own body weight. You're not going to get too thin. You'll just slow your metabolism a little bit, which you're slowing the aging process. Because the whole world has this confused the other way around. Mm. They, they're trying to speed up their metabolic rate so they can eat more food and not get fat. 
I'm trying to have people slow down the metabolic rates. So they can eat less food and not get too thin. So in other words, and, and we're saying when you do that, then you've unleashed or revealed the secret of human longevity. It's the fountain of youth because you age much slower. You live much longer. So we're talking here about making each calorie count mm -hmm. and eating more micronutrients per each caloric buck. And when you eat a lot of foods that are micronutrient rich per calorie, it naturally suppresses your appetite. It naturally makes you no longer desire to overeat calories. Mm -hmm. And we're not um, willy-nilly trying to starve ourselves of calories. We're just trying to eat more high-nutrient, low-calorie foods so we naturally feel satisfied with less calories. So it's all about eating right so you're not driven to overeat. And what I'm saying right now is when you eat oil and when you eat sugar and when you eat junk food and when you eat processed foods, it drives cravings overeating behaviors and it makes you not feel well when you're not eat, digesting food so you're driven to keep food putting in your food too much food in your body mm -hmm. so the whole picture of this or the first basic principle is eating foods that eating more healthy foods more more nutrient rich foods as the means of being able to control your appetite and prevent overeating okay okay what would you say to people who would say Dr. Furman, that's all very well. We can, you know, potentially increase our lifespan, our lifespan by eating these nutrient-rich foods, lower-calorie foods. But right. do you know what? I just like eating fast foods. I like eating unhealthy foods because it tastes good. And if it knocks off maybe five years, ten years of my life, I'm willing to live with that. What would you say to those people? Well, that, that is the way that um, food addicts talk and how they think. Even, even when you're a smoker or an alcoholic, you're always coming up with illogical and delusional rationalizations why it's okay to continue your addiction. The problem is, is that um, in this country, mental illness affects one in five people. And the processed foods and commercial baked goods and fast foods are linked to depression in a dose-dependent manner. What I'm saying right now is even two servings of commercial baked goods like bagels and croissants and cookies and donuts and, you know, and french fries. In other words, two servings a week doubles your lifetime risk of developing depression and it goes up from there. And the people that aren't, don't develop major depression get an effect on limiting their concentration, lowering their intelligence, increasing the rate that they develop dementia and putting a fog over their clarity of thinking. So they and then and, and also lowering their enthusiasm, happiness, and excitement about life, even when they don't have major depression. So we're talking about that when you eat poorly, it doesn't just take five years off your life. It takes the last thirty years of your life and usually makes it miserable, makes you medically dependent, makes you no longer concentrate. You can't, you don't have your full intellectual power. You certainly don't have your physical ability to enjoy life and do physical things that you could when you were younger. You're living, but you're barely living. And and also those foods deaden your taste buds as well. So you don't even enjoy food as much as you think you see. So you, you think that you are enjoying your life more. It's like the smoker thinks they're enjoying their life more. And they say, well, I'm all stressed out right now. My son smashed up the car. My husband lost his job. I'll just smoke. I'll, maybe I'll quit later. But you know what? The smoking is a major cause of the stress because you can't solve the problems in your life effectively when, you're, when your body, when your life and your decisions are revolve around sustaining your addiction. When you're a food addict... Having to eat sweets, having to eat, you know, overeat foods, and your health is not good, you're not enjoying your life more, you've deadened your taste, you've deadened your smell, so now a strawberry doesn't even taste good to anymore. So they think they can't enjoy natural foods because they're not willing to put into the time, the few months it takes to re-challenge their taste buds, to retrain them to get back the health of their taste and their smell so they can enjoy natural foods again. The point I'm making right now is when you learn the recipes and when you give enough time to cultivate improving your taste as you improve your health, then eating a nutritarian diet becomes more pleasurable than your prior diet, not less pleasurable. We know it's painful for people to stop smoking. We know it's painful to stop snorting cocaine and to stop eating unhealthy foods. It's a temporary period of, un of being uncomfortable and it's a temporary period of food not tasting as good, sure. But the question is, is it worth the discomfort in changing your life to add not five years, but to add 20 years of your life? And we're not just adding 20 years. You're adding because the, the you're losing those years of life, but the years before that you're alive, you're suffering. Mm -hmm. And who wants to be in a nursing home, unable to think straight, or can't even, or, or stroked out their body, or can't take care of their health? In other words, people are suffering needlessly and tragically, and nutrition is at the root of these problems. And when I use that term, fast food genocide, I'm using that term genocide because people don't have any idea the damage it's occurring. It's occurring in the modern world. Mm -hmm. For example. 
in, in urban areas where fast foods and processed foods are eaten most, more frequently, we see seven times the risk of stroke. Before the age 45, people living in nursing homes in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who stroked out. Wow. We're, seeing, we're seeing tremendous increase in mental illness, more crime, more anger, more, and, and you know, half the people who are incarcerated in federal prisons in the United States today are there because of nonviolent drug-related offense, drug-related, drug um, you know, criminal behavior. And what I'm saying right now is that's traced back more closely with candy and fast food and processed foods than it is with any other parameter. More than poverty, more than bad parents, more than lack of parenting, more than no parents, more than social isolation. The, the most critical and robust association is the consumption between junk food and drug abuse because these are the gateway drugs. What I'm saying is sugar and candy are the gateway drugs to opiate addiction and to drug addiction and to alcoholism because it because people live for their their addictive stimulation hmm. because when the more you eat sweets and the more you eat junk food it deadens down the dopamine receptors in the brain so you no longer get a high from eating food you got to look for more more food more ice cream more sugar more volume of food and your whole life revolves around um, sustaining and maintaining your addictions as a, and not about creativity and not about intellectual advancement, not about what you're going to accomplish in the world, and not about having goodwill for other people, and not about grouping together with other people to get things done that are constructive. In other words, it takes away your ability to have a fully constructive and life that's meaningful. And it takes away your ability to care for your loved ones and to be a good parent or a good father or a good mother. In other words, your addictions drive your behaviors. And the rationalization is, oh, I'll just live a shorter life, but I'll still smoke, I'll still snort, I'll still eat junk food, I'll still be overweight, I'll still be unhealthy. It's just... It's irrational th thought thinking. It's totally shocking. And do you know what? When I read this in your book, it, it totally blew my mind. The fact that there's so much more going on. We, you know, we tend to think fast food, yeah, has negative implications on our bodily health, mental health, right. you know, to a smaller or larger extent. But you've just blown open the whole remit of how fast food affects our life in a negative way. So... Let's talk about your book then. So the title, Fast Food Genocide, it is a shocking title for the book. Um, and you've touched on some of the things why you've called it that. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I, you know, I've written 12 books. And I think that really what inspired me to write this book is like when I'm researching a book and doing and collecting, maybe they, each book has, let's say, 500 to 700 scientific references in the book. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to collect 500 references that are relevant for that book, I've had to maybe read 10,000 or 7,000 to 10,000 scientific studies to pull out the 500 that are most relevant for that book, right? And in collecting those studies, you recognize there's a whole lot of information that's ripe for another, for another book, not for this book, it's not about reversing diabetes, but it's about the problems that are occurring in people eating more fast foods and how it's destroying our genes in future generations and causing childhood cancer and autism and brain tumors. And so we're so I'm uncovering information. And then in this country, um, we see a lot of increased illness in urban communities where people of color live. And, and you know that there's a lot of um, how should you say there's some degree of bigotry and racism that is perpetuated by the medical profession and what we learn in medical school. Because we learn in medical school that black Americans have, you know, higher rates of diabetes and obesity and leg amputation and blindness and more crime and less education and they're not um, becoming as educated or they're not um, achieving economic potential. And, and it's, it's blamed almost on the color of their skin or their race. And I've showed in this book, for example, many different things. I showed that when you track what people are eating, and what their environment enables them to eat by the access to supermarket food or fast food or junk food in convenience stores. Whatever the color of your skin, even in areas where white people are living, if you have bad access to food, you have just as much crime and just as much diabetes and just as much obesity. So I showed that it was that it's not an issue of skin color. It's an issue of food access and information. And I traced it back in human history, showing that after the slaves were released, after black Americans became free after the Civil War, they were more centenarians, more living to 100 years old. They had longer lifespans than the southern whites, than the southern white people 
were having. They were achieving educational opportunities and advancement economically. And then when the white supremacy movement came into the United States, put more violence against blacks, which spurred, which moved them into the inner cities. And then the World War II came and well, we had a disease called pellagra that occurred that caused more violence in the South, that the medical profession denied anything to do with nutrition. So I went through the history and how the white supremacy movement actually spurred the um, growth of Nazism in Germany and Hitler. And actually, Hitler's white supremacy ideas originated in the United States, in the southern and in California and the southern United States. Originally, started against um, Black Americans when the slaves were free. So I went back to this history and I showed how nutrition affect the United States history and damaged people and damaged their brains and damaged their chance for achievement and created more racism and violence. And I brought it back to even today, where we still have people living in urban areas in America, which we call food deserts, where people are unable to access um, fresh produce and fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts, and how that's taking away their opportunity for advancement and the, and the realization of, the, of this idea of equality and equal opportunity for all Americans. You know, so, um, so this book has a tremendous social message. It has a message about how we're trying to solve our health care crisis from the top down by legislating laws of who's paying for this. And it never can work because, because we have too many sick people and we have a growing army, a growing number of people that are getting sicker and sicker and more obese. And I show that people living in those areas of the country without good access to produce who are developing diabetes and obesity at such high levels have a years of potential life loss, the 45 years of potential life loss if you're living in these urban areas where you have lack of supermarket access. It's not five years of life you're losing, it's 45 years of life you're losing in some of these areas. So, um, so I'm using that term genocide to bring awareness to what's happening in areas of the country where people are being very damaged tragically by not eating healthfully. I'm using it to demonstrate the bigotry that's occurred because we're blaming bad outcomes on people's gene genetics and not on the food that they're eating or the food they have access to, number two. And number three, people aren't aware that when you eat poorly, when you have fast food and commercial baked goods and processed foods and barbecue and processed meats, which the World Health Organization has declared a class one carcinogen, by the way, the same as in the same category as asbestos, yeah. but when you eat these foods, it also damages your genes. And you have methylation defects and epigenetic changes that are passed on to future generations. And now we have children being born with autism and an explosion in learning disabilities and attention disorder. And we have children now with childhood cancers and brain tumors. And what I'm saying is the science traces that back to not just what the mother ate when they were pregnant, but what both parents ate before they even conceived the child that you can damage your eggs and your sperm, and you can damage the cells that you leave onto future generations, and we can magnify these the propensity for ill health, and we can damage our future generations, and we're seeing an explosion of these diseases of allergies and autism and brain disorders and learning problems that we never saw in earlier generations. And cancer was relatively unknown hundreds of years ago, and we're seeing an explosion of these diseases even occurring at earlier ages, and I think that it's relevant to talk about how we're damaging the genes being passed on to future generations and the deep tentacles and reach that eating junk food and fast food and candy and processed foods has to the future of humans are based on our own health and passed on to future generations and the environment of the earth and what we're doing to the earth. So I think that there's a tremendous message in this book that people have to understand deeply for change to occur. And so I think it's, I'm passionate about it because I think that if people know the right information, they can make better decisions, they can make the right decisions, we can turn things around and we can help millions of people. Okay, so what I'm hearing from what you're saying is that fast food has wide-ranging implications across society, across future generations, not only right. in shortening lifespan, but also the, the years that we're living are going to be full of addictions and cravings and less ability to concentrate, less bodily health. So it's really affecting all areas of life is, is what I'm getting from this. What does the, what does the average person, the average parent do then in the, in the, face, of, in the face of this? 
Well, you know, given all that negative message I just gave of how risky and damaging fast food are, on the other hand, I have a message of hope too. And that is that we can actually live longer than ever before. We can protect our children against cancer in their future. We can wipe out almost all breast and prostate cancer. We don't have to be demented when we get older. Our children don't have to have these diseases that are afflicting everybody else, that we can have a better life, but we, can, we have to achieve, achieve that through knowledge. And you know, it shouldn't be just reading, writing, and arithmetic. It has to be reading, writing, and arithmetic and nutritional science because this, these, this nutritional information is the most critical data and the most critical body of knowledge that affects our future and our careers and our happiness and our emotional and our physical well-being. The whole thing is affected by what we eat. And by giving parents the tools to take care of their children properly, I mean, we hold our children in our arms, we brush their teeth, we put them to bed at night, we tell them a story, we put on their seatbelts in the car, but, but then we let them eat candy and junk food and we ruin their brains and we decrease their intelligence and we increase the risk of cancer and we destroy their future by, by giving them junk and we think that's good for them. So we really have to know better. And I'm also showing how great healthy food can taste. I'm also my 30 years of experience in this food and my team in making great tasting desserts and soups and chilies and, and you know whatever we're talking about, we're not talking about decreasing pleasure in life through eating. We're talking about increasing pleasure in life through eating and having your health in the same, in the same time. So in the book Fast Food Genocide, I have lots of great recipes to appeal to people who may think, who may think that, who may think that, oh well, you know, that's not gonna taste good enough. I don't wanna be, you know, be too healthy, it's too, I'd rather eat what I feel like eating. And I'm showing them, you, you may be giving up some time, it may be some effort. It's there's certainly effort needs to be paid attention to with anything that gives you valuable, gives you tremendous benefit. You don't get something for nothing, you have to put some effort in here. Mm -hmm. But the effort, but this is a delicious way to eat. And when you're eating in a way that's very, that's tasty and also protects your brain and your health, you feel emotionally more stable about it. And it gets rid of your fear because so many people are living in fear of heart attacks and strokes and dementia and cancer. And fear is not a good thing for your health to live with. And fear doesn't make the, the your quality of your life high. We want to live with excitement and freedom and, and, and optimism, you know, and we want to make every day fun and, and get things and accomplish things in our day. And, you know, so I think that when you eat right, you're feeling well, your brain, you're, you have an unlimited amount of energy, you can do physical sports that are exciting that are, and fun to do in your later years. You can do challenging things with your mind. You're, you know, so we can do things and we can enjoy good food at the same time. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about firsthand because as a student at university at 19 years old, I felt like an old woman. I was tired, lethargic, couldn't concentrate. I was eating Subway sandwiches for lunch, McDonald's for evening meal and some kind of fried breakfast every day and that just took its toll fast forward a few years I cut all that out I was also smoking about 10 cigarettes a day drinking really? yeah 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 and I just felt like an old woman I started studying nutrition reading your books reading lots of other doctors books um, and really got into this and now at the age of 38 almost I'm an ultra marathon runner. I feel fantastic. You know, I'm writing books. I'm running a business. I'm serving in church. And it's, yes, yeah, so I know what you're talking about. Life it needs to be lived, doesn't it? And and food plays such a vital part in that. And, you know, and so, people don't realize because you mentioned French fries, I think, that, you yeah, know, eating yeah. fried foods and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, because people say, oh, well, you just have it in moderation. It's not going to cause that much damage. But what does the studies show? The studies show that one serving of commercial French fries a week increases risk of breast or prostate cancer more than 25%, just one serving a week. Because you know what they do? They don't just fry the food. They fry it in oil that's been heated for hours. Yeah. And, it's, and it's cooked, the same food is cooked in the other foods, oil, and the oil has to get cooked and heated for long periods of time. It's carcinogenic. Absolutely. You know, these fast foods are carcinogenic. Yeah, hydrogenated fats, aren't they? Right. Um, so... What would you say to people, because I'm vegan and I speak at a lot of vegan events, I know a lot of vegans and people who are really into a plant-based diet and I've heard you speak about this before, you say that the vegan diet isn't the kind of be-all and end-all because there's many vegans who are unhealthy. So what, what would you say is, and, and also just want to throw this into the mix, you talk about G-bombs, so food you recommend. So what is the perfect kind of diet in your view? 
Well, I wanted, you know, we talk about the diet to be nutrient rich. We also want it to be hormonally favorable. And to be hormonally favorable means you can't be overweight. Mm -hmm. Because when you're overweight, your body is producing extra estrogen and extra angiogenesis promoters, and it makes you insulin resistant. And then anything you eat, you have a heightened insulin response to. So in other words, if you're an overweight vegan, you're not healthy, Mm -hmm. you know. And, and if you're eating processed foods and junk foods, there are plenty of vegan junk foods. And as we just mentioned, potato chips and french fries could be vegan right? yeah. and soda and white bread. And here's the thing is that white bread and pizza and bagels break down into the bloodstream as glucose. And they enter the bloodstream rapidly as sugar. It's the same as eating candy. Mm-hmm. There's no significant difference between marshmallows, candy, and white bread. It's all junk food. It's brain damaging. It causes dementia. And it causes heart disease. And vegans get cancer and heart disease from eating white flour and junk food. Mm-hmm. And, they're not, they, and they should be examples of good health. And they have higher risk of depression as well. Mm-hmm. And they have higher risk of depression. And, and, there's, and also there's this arm of how should I say, of the vegan community, these low-fat vegans that are afraid to eat nuts and seeds because they think lower in fat is better, and they're not taking DHA or EPA for the brain, and they not only increase the risk of depression, but they develop brain shrinkage with aging and increases the risk of developing dementia later in life. So what I'm saying is this, is that I advocate a vegan diet, but it's a special type of a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. It's full of G-bombs. Yeah. So I want people to eat G-bombs, which are, it stands for G-B-O-M-B-S, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And this acronym is developed because any one of these foods taken individually has been shown to radically reduce rates of cancer like breast cancer. Cream cruciferous vegetables eaten in higher amounts decreased risk of dying of breast cancer among breast cancer patients who have cancer, for example, by 50% or more. Flax seeds shown to re- reduce risk of death by 71% in people who have breast cancer. Read some malignants from flax seeds. Mushrooms to prevent breast cancer developing by more than 64%. What I'm saying is you take any one of these foods and they're very protective, but a nutritarian diet puts together a full portfolio of foods that have individually been shown in scientific studies to dramatically protect against cancer, and we include these foods in a diet of all those foods in the diet, we get the full symphony of phytochemicals and antioxidants humans need to maximize immune function. So it's not just a a vegan diet, it's a very healthy vegan diet, and if you don't want to be a vegan, then we allow people to have a small amount of animal product, but keep it restricted, because as you increase animal products in the diet, it increases hormones that promote cellular replication, growth hormones like IGF-1, and and, and, and pro-inflammatory molecules that can accelerate heart disease. But people have to recognize it's not just animal products that promote heart disease and cancer, it's also these processed carbohydrates, and too much in the vegan movement, they, they make the animal products the villain, without giving an equal amount of attention to the processed carbohydrates and the fried foods that are just as bad. And the second thing I alluded to, which I want to clarify, Mm -hmm. is that eating nuts and seeds like sesame seeds and flax seeds and chia seeds extend human lifespan, prevent cancer, eating walnuts and pistachio nuts, protect the heart against arrhythmias and protect the brain from shrinkage, and that more than half of people on a vegan diet who are not supplementing with a source of EPA or DHA, don't genetically make enough of those nutrients to secure proper brain size with aging into your 80s or 90s or 100 years old, and taking a low dose of EPA or DHA as a supplement is useful to prevent brain shrinkage with aging. There's a cavalier and irresponsible attitude among vegans that as long as you take B12, Mm -hmm. that's all you need, you're doing okay, Mm -hmm. and you're gonna live a long time and not have problems, and that's not true. in my 30 years of medical practice caring for this community, too many of these people developed depression or, or, or dementia because they were B12 deficient, they were vitamin D deficient, or mostly because they were deficient in DHA. And they needed to have that checked, and they needed to take a little DHA to ensure adequacy. And their nutritional gurus telling them that a vegan diet is adequate, and they don't need any supplements, was sold them out and damaged their brains. And it has to stop. Wow. Okay. Um, one of your previous books, The End of Diabetes, you say that following a nutritarian diet can literally reverse diabetes. And I've seen that in people I work with and 
other people like other doctors I've interviewed people like Dr Neil Barnard so what's your take on this How, can we reverse diabetes with diet then so my book and also the studies I've published and the studies I'm doing in my care with patients over the last 30 years has shown that almost all diet type 2 diabetics can become non-diabetic and I published that pilot study that showed that nine out of 10 people who were diabetic became completely non-diabetic within six months. Much more aggressive, much more dramatic results than other people are reporting through a nutritarian diet because it's better designed to reverse diabetes because it's lower glycemic as well. It's not just vegan, it's also lower glycemic and has these nutrient rich low um, hot foods that are high in resistant starch and high in these slowly digestible carbohydrates. So it's very effective at reversing diabetes and, and, and obesity. And, you know, and diabetes happens in more, more prevalent and more people are overweight because being overweight contributes to it. Mm -hmm. So if you drop a lot of weight, most often your diabetes is going to go away. And we know that when people go through gastric bypass or lap bands and they lose a lot of weight, their diabetes goes, can go away and within a few weeks even because they stop eating as much food. But we don't need to have lap bands or gastric bypass or surgery to do this. You just have to learn how to eat right. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're talking about designing a diet style to maximally reverse diabetes in type 2 diabetics and extend human lifespan and for people with heart disease like high blood pressure and taking statin drugs to lower their cholesterol. Mm -hmm. These drugs increase the risk of cancer, significantly so too. And people aren't given informed consent. They're not told about the danger of the drugs and not told about a lot of the diabetic medications people are taking cause weight gain and accelerate the progression of their diabetes so they become more diabetic and it, it shortens their lives but not lengthens it. So what I'm saying now is that people have this, all their faith in the medical profession and the drugs are gonna save them. And what I'm saying is if they really knew how ineffective, risky and futile it was to take the drugs, in many cases accelerating your demise, many millions of more people would embrace nutritional excellence as a means of getting well. So that's right, I have a book called The End of Diabetes where I want every person with pre-diabetes or diabetes to, to do this and get rid of their diabetes, not go to doctors and get drugs. Mm -hmm. And I have a book called The End of Heart Disease where I want people not to take blood pressure medications and not to take cholesterol and drugs, but to get their weight back and to get rid of their, get, earn a low cholesterol, earn normal blood pressure with excellent nutrition. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you can protect yourself with heart disease. If you're thinking you're protecting yourself by taking drugs, that's, that's foolish, you're not. As a matter of fact, the more drugs you take, the more you're at risk of premature death. Mm -hmm. So when you're controlling your blood pressure to a favorable range with drugs, you don't have a normal blood pressure, you just, it's a fake normal blood pressure. Yeah. It's artificially lowered with medication. It doesn't, so you're, the problem is still there and still causing damage. You know, and then the drugs gave you that permission slip to keep eating the same diet that caused the blood vessel damage to begin with. So you the inevitable consequence is you're, you're going to age yourself prematurely and the damage is going to continue at a, at a, actually a, uh, at, a, at, a, at a rate that's actually faster. You're going to continue the damage at an increased rate from taking the medications. Mm -hmm. If we never had medications, doctors would be forced to tell people they got to start eating right, losing weight, exercising, eating vegetables, getting the salt out of their diet. They'd be forced to give people eat healthier. Mm -hmm. Now they don't have to have people live healthier. They just give them a drug and people just think they're doing okay now, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. So just to be clear, am I right in thinking then that the nutritarian diet that you promote is the same diet across the board. So whether you've got a patient with diabetes or heart disease or cancer, it's the same approach? No. No, okay, okay. I, I might, a person who has diabetes, I'm not gonna let them have dates and raisins or fruit or, you know, I might be more strict in the, in the sweet, in the desserts. They can have the fresh fruit, like the berries and the one fruit with each meal, but I'm not gonna give them as, but I'm gonna design the diet a little more, especially people who have, you know, very overweight and poorly controlled diabetes. I wanna make the diet a little more aggressive to reverse their diabetes and get them off the medications as quickly as possible. Okay. So a person who's just like you and me, who are just eating it for health can be a, not don't have to be quite that strict with it. But even with us, I, when I'm making a dessert, let's say I'm making a chocolate ice cream where I'm putting in, whipping up a frozen banana mm -hmm. with some macadamia nuts and some vanilla powder. When I want to put a little coke, unsweetened cocoa powder in, I'll put one date, one medjool date to sweeten it. I won't put three medjool dates in for us, but with the diabetic, I'll put maybe I'll put no dates in. I'll make a, a frozen, a berry sorbet, and I'll have no dates added to it at all. I'll just keep their glucose the amount of glucose in each meal um, uh, um, lower, you know what I mean? Okay, all right. So what are three foods that you would say people need to just eliminate from their diet altogether because they're that unhealthy? Well, fried foods, you know, foods that are cooked in oil, 
Because when you heat oil at high temperature, you cause carcinogenic changes that have tremendous damage and propensity for cancer. So we're talking about French fries and chips and fried squid and fried onion rings and whatever fried foods, of course. And then, of course, we're talking about foods made with white flour. And that includes bread and, and cookies and cake that people are eating. It's got to come out of your diet. And the third thing is that people don't recognize is putting oil over their food. Because oil, we're talking here about even a little bit of extra calories a day, it shortens your lifespan. And when you take oil, it doesn't turn off the apostat. It turns up the apostat. Like if you were going to eat a lunch and taking the food at a buffet, and I gave you an apple on your way to lunch as you were going to collect food, you'd eat 65 calories less because the apple would have filled you up with 65 calories. Hmm. But if I gave you a teaspoon of olive oil, 120 calories, a tablespoon of olive oil, you wouldn't eat any calories less. You'd actually eat more calories. Wow. Oil drives the overconsumption of calories. And when you eat walnuts instead of walnut oil and sesame seeds instead of sesame oil and sunflower seeds instead of sunflower oil and eat the whole food, it, 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 the, the fat calories enter the bloodstream like an IV drip a little by little over hours, keeping you from being hungry. And your body burns it for energy. When you take oil, it's, it's, it's absorbed so rapidly that it, it's stored as fat. It makes people get fat and they don't recognize how the oil is the major contributor to their extra body, to the extra fat they have around their waist. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it may not be as dangerous as French fries and as sugar and as white flour, it's still, um, you know, we all, I'm not mentioning the common things like, you know, barbecued meats and things like that because we know they're carcinogenic. But I'm talking about the, the mistakes people usually make. Mm -hmm. The fried foods, the oily foods, and the, and the white flour is where they're usually going wrong. Okay. All right. Just on the subject of oil, what do you think of things like tahini and nut butters, which are obviously not fully, fully refined, but are more refined than the whole nut or seed? It depends. I think they're good. They're good if they're raw. But I think that um, you can make tahini from whole sesame seeds or from unholed sesame seeds. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather you make your own or get it from the unholed, the whole sesame seed, which has the whole nutrients in the fire and the shell as well. So it's, so it's, so yeah, I don't think, so those are, um, are okay foods, but I, but you know, when you're eating a walnut or a sesame seed, the sterols and the stanols and the fibers bind fat like a fat magnet. So it carries fat out into the toilet bowl. So all the fat calories don't even come into the bloodstream. They're not all biologically accessible to the body. When you eat oil, they flood the bloodstream very rapidly and they all lead to weight gain. The, the fat magnets, the, the nuts and seeds bind fat so tightly that they actually suck cholesterol out of the bloodstream into the digestive tract. And they carry that cholesterol out in the stool and they carry saturated fat out into the stool. So they have, they have, a, they have negative fat effects in that they're reducing, that so you're not absorbing all those calories. The same thing beans do, because all the carbohydrate calories in beans are not accessible to the body because they can't be broken down by digestive enzymes. They're called resistant starch. And the resistant starch is converted by bacteria into short-chain fatty acids, which put, puts more fat in the stool, which have anti-inflammatory and anti-diabetic effects. So you get these anti-diabetic effects and these weight loss benefits from eating the, the, the whole nut and seed over the oil from the seed. So I'm really trying to get people to put salad dressings by blending the nuts with some tomato sauce and roasted garlic and vinegar, not by putting oil in vinegar. We're talking about blending the whole nut with vinegar. Yeah. You know, not oil and vinegar, it's sunflower seeds and almonds and vinegar and roasted garlic and tomato sauce and fig vinegar and a little bit of prune and you mix it up and you make a great dress dressing or it's an orange whipped with some sesame seeds and cashews and blood orange vinegar and a squeeze of lemon. I'm making great dressings that taste fantastic but it's a different biological effect when you get the whole food as compared to the oil. Okay, all right, brilliant. So just before we wrap up um, and you let us know where we can um, find you online and, and get your book from, so say I'm your listener now and I'm the diet that I'm currently on is pretty unhealthy. I'm recognizing some of the things that you're talking about that are, we should be avoiding fried foods, animal-based foods, white flour, that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I'm sold. I'm going to give this a go just to prepare that person because, and I've heard you talk about this before, you know, because we're often addicted to foods, it is like coming off of smoking or an alcohol right. addiction or a drug addiction. So, just to prepare that person, what are the what are the side effects that they can experience short term? How long will that period be, and what are the benefits that they can reap, you know, in the longer term? Sure. 
So that's right. People temporarily feel fatigued when they first come off their food. And, they, and between meals, they're not eating as many calories. They start to feel shaky, a little bit of anxious. What I'm saying is they could even feel a little headache, headachey. Some people, in other words, the, you feel a little bit worse when you eat healthfully as your body's going into a phase of detoxification. But that most often only lasts two or three days. By the fourth day, most people are feeling well again. And by the fifth day, almost everybody's feeling okay. It's usually the only first two or three days. So you don't have to fear. You might feel a little tired or mostly a little increased fatigue the first few days is the major side effect. The problem is that the natural foods without salt and sugar don't taste as flavorful to people. And that they don't understand that that's going to take a few months. That takes three to four months for their taste buds to get stronger because your taste buds are deadened by salted foods and by oily foods and by highly sugary foods and by all the commercial baked goods, it, it weakens your taste. So a strawberry doesn't have much flavor, a cashew nut doesn't have subtle flavors, an avocado doesn't taste like much to people because their taste has been weakened. So just be patient, with, be patient, stick with the program, eat your big salad every day, use a healthy dressing, make a big pot of soup on the weekends where you have the vegetable juices and the mushrooms and the onions and the green vegetables and the beans in there and take it to work with you every day. And, and you'd be surprised that we can retrain the taste buds, retrain people to like this food more, and they'll learn a whole repertoire of recipes that'll taste really great as they're making this transition. So I'm hoping to be able to be in a, of assistance to them to make the transition easier, to make it doable, and to make this tremendously powerful and giving, making their lives healthier and happier. And you've got great recipes in all of your books, haven't you? So Thank you. Yeah, I'm really proud of those really great recipes. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, okay, so thanks so much. It's been a really interesting interview. And um, yeah, really wonderful work that you're doing. So just want to thank you for that. And if you could let us know, where's the best place to find you online and, and get your book, Fast Food Genocide? Right. Well, fast food genocide, I think you can get anywhere, like Amazon, and people can order it from anywhere. Mm -hmm. But, but I, my website, for more information, to see all my books I have available, and to, is drfurman.com, is D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Joel. It's been a real pleasure. And, um, my yeah. pleasure, too. Okay. Best of luck and best of health to you and your listeners. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Joel Furman. It was really very... Um, very shocking in many ways wasn't it it was to me when I first heard this stuff but knowledge is power so now you know this stuff what can we do about it well let's just recap what we've learned a few takeaway points from this interview about fast food genocide so he talked about how fast food and processed food leads to food addiction so oftentimes when we're reaching for unhealthy foods things like bacon crisps any other junk food ice cream donuts meat that kind of stuff then it's not actually a choice it's an addiction and you hear people's the way people talk about food is the the language of addiction so if you're justifying eating bad foods you can suspect that you might have food addictions in play and these kind of foods, because they're so addictive, lead to increase in caloric intake, which obviously then leads to weight gain if uncontrolled. And here's a majorly shocking thing. So having highly addictive junk food acts as a gateway drug to illegal drug abuse. So if we're giving our children things like lots of sweets and fast foods at a young age, that is the biggest indicator, Joel said from his research, it's the biggest indicator that that child will then go on to take illegal drugs later in life. Now that is shocking, isn't it? We tend to, you know, we want to do the best for our children and put them in the best schools give them the best education, try and take them to music lessons and give them hobbies and help them to read and write and play games and be happy and enjoy music and all this stuff that parents do to try and increase the the education, the happiness and the, the um, ability of that child to do well in life, yet so many parents neglect food and the types of food that they're, they're feeding their children. So this is really something to take no, a notice of, isn't it? And the fact that fast food and processed foods actually reduce intelligence, they derail school performance, cause depression. It's one of the number one indicators for depression, eating fast food. We tend to think that depression comes out of nowhere. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's fueled by what we put into our bodies. And it increases the propensity for violence and crime. So there's so much going on when we eat an innocent hamburger, cheeseburger, tub of ice cream, 
bag of sweets, we tend to think, yeah, at worst it might pile on the pounds, but there's so much more going on than just adding weight to our bodies. It affects every area of our mental health, our bodily health, and our societal well-being, you know, how we act around other people in community our behavior, our levels of calmness or anger and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, in biblical terms, eating fast food leads to you sinning more. That's what Joel was saying. He didn't say it in biblical terms, but that's what happens. So we really need to submit our food choices to God because Satan is obviously very active here in the arena of food and fast food especially. So we really need to be humble and submitting ourselves to God and asking God to sanctify our eating and to give us godly eating practices. And what better way to eat really than just to eat natural foods that come from the ground, plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, some nuts, and seeds or as I call it in my book the alkaline five diet a more alkaline forming diet which is pretty much the same approach as Dr. Joel Furman talks about. So the last thing I would say on this is that if you're gonna start trying to eat a more nutrition rich diet a more nutritarian diet and ditch the fast foods and processed foods do expect a few days of a kind of come down effect because Fast food is a drug and you can expect some withdrawal symptoms, but that's okay. It doesn't last long. And once you get over those symptoms, then you will start reaping the benefits and you can then reap those benefits for the rest of your life. Of As I attest to, as many thousands of people I've worked with attest to and many hundreds of thousands of people that Joel Furman has have, um, experienced can attest to as well. So yeah, a really enlightening podcast topic today. But really, you just need to start where you are and cut down on the fast and processed foods and experience eating as God has designed us to do and reap those benefits. So I'm going to leave you with two short Bible verses today. The first one is from Psalms and it's Psalm 19 verses 13 to 14. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the second one is James 4.17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Thanks so much for listening to Eternal Health today. I hope you have a really good week and I look forward to speaking to you next time on Eternal Health. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Health Podcast. Go to lauraremmer.com to download your free Optimum Health Scorecard and find out your current health score, plus tips, coaching, and training on how to get slim, healed, and energized. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time on Eternal Health.